Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch Podcast, a place where we talk to the people that make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode 38 of the pod. We're recording this episode just a few days after the British Quidditch Cup 2022. So for those wondering where our BQC review episode is, it's in the planning process at the moment and ideally we'll be looking to deliver it to you in the coming week or so. So yeah, watch this space. Uh, in the meantime, we have an excellent guest lined up for this episode and I'm excited to talk to, talk with him this afternoon. An all-time great of European Quidditch, this player and his team have returned from retirement during the pandemic and are back to crushing it on the Quidditch pitch. A European champion in 2017, multiple-time Belgian champion and multiple-time runner-up at EQC European Games and the World Cup. This person has played in some of the biggest matches and high-pressure environments in the sport and is widely considered as one of, if not the best, quaffle players on the continent. It's none other than Sefa DeWitt. Hey, dude, how's it going? Uh, hello, Fraser. I'm doing fine. I'm enjoying the, the nice weather in Belgium. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, man. Just, uh, still recovering from the weekend. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good to good to chat with you this afternoon. Um, yeah, so obviously we've had a a bit of a bit of a disruption with the pandemic and all of that. Um, but we're mm-hmm. finally back. We're finally playing Quidditch again. So just wanted to start off with sort of how, how have you spent your time during the last few years during the global pandemic? Kind of what new hobbies did you start doing, or maybe give give more time to during the pandemic? Yeah, so yeah, as you mentioned, during the pandemic, we we retired from Quidditch. Um, but nonetheless, I spent my time with a lot of sports. Um, like first, we had a hard lockdown and we couldn't do anything except for like doing sports on your own. So I did a lot of cycling, like cycling 300 to 400 kilometers a week. Uh, and that's what I love to do. So I did this for the whole year. Um, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And then afterwards, there was like the, the semi lockdown where uh, school and university started again, but uh, only like the the hard parts, like you, you needed to go to the uh, university, you needed to make homework, but you could not stay with your friends at the university. So this was a, a little bit more shitty time, but then university, um, my university community started organizing this uh, sport challenges uh, and this is when I started doing like really extreme sports stuff as well and that's that's actually how I got through uh, this pandemic fairly well just doing sports and extreme sports um, yeah very nice and I also got to know my my girlfriend through these uh, extreme challenges uh, so after that yeah life was good mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, quite interesting to hear and uh... Yeah, I'm quite curious with the cycling because obviously it's it's a big national sport in Belgium. You sort of think people like Eddie Merckx and stuff. Like, is cycling something you did before Quidditch, or is like something you just decided? Yeah, let, let's give this a go. There's nothing else I can do right now. Yeah, so it's very hard to do cycling really uh, in a club um, because it's so hard. So I did a lot of cycling when I was younger, but just like going. 
uh, doing a route of 30 kilometers, uh, being 12 years old, and like that was a lot for me, but it's really on amateur uh, individual level. Um, and then, yeah, during the pandemic, it was the first time that I had the time to do it at a more professional-like level, but it was still like like not on a professional level because it's just a, such a hard sport to get into, uh, yeah. especially if you want to combine it with other sports like I do as well, like football and Quidditch. Um, but this was a unique chance to, to try to only focus on uh, cycling. And of course, in Belgium, it's, it's so big. Um, and so flat. <laughs> It's always like a lot of nice cycling routes, but I have also been a fan of cycling like when I was five years old already. It's a big thing in Belgium, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's obviously a good one for not just the fitness, but also, I guess, mentally, like it's something you can really kind of push yourself with. And I think just like with running, which is something I really got into in, during the pandemic, like it's just there's some freedom to it, you know, like you can get on your bike and just go right off I go and travel for miles and miles and miles and sort of see so much of the countryside and yeah, yeah. Exactly. really relaxing physically yeah definitely and you, yeah. you mentioned there the um the extreme sports as well what what, what did you mean by that like the the, the extreme challenge stuff is that, is that kind of related to cycling or is that yeah something so else or we had like different challenges every week and, and one week there was a challenge like cycle as far as possible in one ride. <laughs> so I decided, um, yeah, like after two days, because we got, a, we got a week for this. And after two days, one guy had a, a ride of 260 kilometers. So it was clear for me I needed to do more because I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I did a ride uh, of 360 kilometers, like around the province of Antwerp. Uh, mm. Yeah, this was quite extreme. <laughs> uh, I've never done anything like that uh, before or afterwards. Okay. Uh, and the same way also with running, because one week later, there was again a very original challenge. This time it was run as far as possible in one time uh, and again after three days I think this time one guy uh, ran a marathon <laughs> so I thought yeah as you do casually <laughs> if I want to win this uh, I need to do a marathon as well so yeah that's what I did and yeah I was in a very very good shape back then mm -hmm. yeah it sh shows a lot about your mentality and your competitiveness and, uh, yeah it's great to see that you managed to stay fit while uh, a lot of us haven't been uh, as active. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I guess taking things back to the very beginning of your time with Quidditch, um, how did you get into the sport? And kind of what sporting background did you have before you started playing Quidditch? Yeah, so it's it's a very random story actually. Uh, I think Louis already partly explained it maybe. But uh, it's good for you to know that like from my 10 to my 15 years old, uh, I didn't do any sports because I had too much uh, injuries of growing too fast. I don't know what the <laughs> English I'm term. not surprised one bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew too fast and then my muscles couldn't follow my bones and I had a lot of injuries. I needed to quit football because I played football when I was really young. Uh, and then when I was 15, I could start again playing sports. So I started playing football with the, the team of Emil and Faust also playing in 
uh, fellow Dodo players, Android players. Um, and at the same time, uh, actually, I wanted to start playing rugby because we did a tryout with my school and they asked me to join, which is very flattering. Uh, but my mother wouldn't allow me because it was too dangerous. Um, so it was only football. And then at school, my physical education teacher, uh, who happened to know someone of the scouts from Louis, because Louis found Antwerp, of course. Um, and this physical education teacher just told me, uh, Emil and Faust, like, hey, this weekend they're doing a, a Quidditch training for the first time in the park nearby. They're looking for as much people as possible. So if you guys would like to go over, you can go. So Emil Faust and I, we went with the three of us and we didn't know anyone there. It was very strange because it was like the scouts and friends group of Louis playing Quidditch. We just arrived, we, we joined them. We had a nice time, we had fun. And that's actually how it started. So just like the, the connection from our physical education teacher at secondary school to the scouts of Louis and then that's how it started. It really random. Yeah, it certainly sounds it. And uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting sort of introduction to the sport obviously as you mentioned kind of having your your, your growing pains and uh sort of having that time where you couldn't play sports and then that period around 15 years old sort of really kind of eager to try different things and obviously yeah. playing football and you looked at rugby for a little bit so yeah i guess it's it's quite interesting how you had that curiosity to try something as, as strange as quidditch yeah, yeah that's really well put it from you like i i, I hadn't done sports for such a long time. I was really like enthusiastic about every sport that came on my path. Mm -hmm. And obviously like you had this initial session and you said you had great fun there. Um, it's kind of after that, obviously there's, there's lots of people who join Quidditch and they might just do the one session or maybe two sessions and go, oh, this was fun and then stop playing. So what convinced you to keep playing Quidditch after you started? Yeah, th that's actually a very good question. Um, like the, the easy answer is from the moment uh, I played the first EQC, which was four months or five months after I started playing, uh, we yeah, we managed to play a good tournament for only existing five months. And that's where I made the click like, oh, we can be good in this sport. This is actually a real sport. It's an international sport. Then I was really uh, yeah, eager to, to continue. but getting from the start to this five month point that's a little bit strange i don't know we just had fun it was nice weather uh, these scouts people from louis scouts happened to be nice people and yeah it's it just i don't know like it was also very um how do you say it um not a not a high ask like it was just one friday after school you go there have some fun afterwards afterwards they have some beers um mm. so it was just easy to to keep on going and then suddenly there was a tournament and then i found for myself like okay this could be a real sport for me okay so yeah that, that, that's quite a good way of looking at it because i think in terms of quidditch as a sport i think one of the really positive things about it especially if you come from a sporting background, is that 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 moment you realize, hang on a minute, I, I can go to all these international tournaments, I can be in this national team, 
I can play a World Cup. I can be part of this organization. Like you, you, you have this kind of light bulb moment. You realize there's so many possibilities. Um, and I think you realize that when you went to that first European Championships, that this could be something sort of really amazing in your life. Yeah. And we were really like naive bunch of, of young people. Like I remember the Saturday night of this tournament, uh, we were chatting at the place we were staying. Um, like, oh, uh, I happened to score 14 goals at day one uh, of the, <laughs> the four games we played. And we were just like chatting like, oh, maybe you could become top scorer and oh, you're actually really good. And of course, I was 15 years old, so I was just like getting hyped, not knowing about any other players. And then the day after, I, I happened to ask Luke Twist or someone told me that Luke Twist already scored 30 goals. So that was like... <laughs> But it was just the, the hype of being young children, like being good in something. Yeah, it was really nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, obviously fond memories from that first DQC. Um, and you kind of mentioned the early days of practicing with the team in Antwerp. So just kind of looking back at that time, what are your favorite memories of those early days with the Dodos? Sort of, whether that's EQC or anything else. Oh, yeah. In the beginning, and it's not only like Antwerp, but it's just like the the international tournaments. Like my my favorite memories is like every Valentine's Cup, like Valentine's Cup, the famous fantasy tournament in Oxford. Um, I, we always had such a great time. Like not only playing there, but just doing the traveling with a group of friends. Uh, doesn't matter if it's to Oxford or to a tournament in Barcelona or to Paris. It was always a nice adventure, a nice time with friends. Um, and the same with Antwerp. So I, I remember uh, EQC 2015 was also in Oxford. Uh, and uh, yeah, we went there, but we were young and, and broke. <laughs> we didn't have money, so we, we just uh, went camping somewhere close to the tournament, but it was super cold. So we were all freezing at night. Um, and then we, we had just ravioli like in, in cans on the campfire. That this was our dinner, <laughs> like this is how we played the, the first EQCs. But we were all in that together, and it was such an adventure. Really, like the the building stones for great friendships and having a, a good time as young people. Yeah, definitely. It's it's that time that really kind of brings people together, sort of going on that journey um, as one one group of people, and yeah, <laughs> sort of uh, ca camping in Oxford probably not the best idea. Um, so I, I think um, there was Southern Cup later that year. Uh, Portsmouth did the same thing, and they all got hyperthermia. Um, yeah, it was it was so. terrible. <laughs> Probably made, not the place to camp. <laughs> yeah. We made big progress on uh, on all levels since then. Also, accommodation and uh, having dinner after a tournament and stuff. <laughs> mm. But it's quite nice, kind of, when you're at that early stage where you don't have much money. But you're sort of going, we really want to do this. What do we need to do to make it happen? Right, okay, we can save money by camping there or getting the bus or whatever. Yeah. Just kind of doing whatever it is so that when you actually get on the pitch, it's that bit more special because you've really kind of had to cut cut corners and just make just to make it happen, just to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously in those early days, um, so I think a lot of people remember. Antwerp back then is obviously you, you were pretty young. Your teammates were pretty young. Um, it's kind of these these sort of pesky teenagers. 
um, who were sort of obviously quite talented, um, but kind of weren't quite at that top level just yet. Um, but obviously got there in the end. Um, so with, with Antwerp, at what point did you as a team realise you were more than just a good team of players, but one that could compete and become a European champion one day? Uh, yeah, I think it it actually happened in two stages. Like um, going back to this EQC of Oxford, um, we arrived there uh, for the first time. Actually, a real EQC with thirty two teams, with qualifiers, etc. Um, and we managed to get actually in a fairly good way into in to the quarterfinal against Oxford, and uh, we lost this one, um, but. Actually, we gave Oxford a fair game, and and they were the Reagan Reaganing um, yep. national champions, uh, European champions. Yep. So we got knocked out there in the quarterfinal. Uh, but that the moment we thought like, okay, maybe next year we we do two trainings a week, and then we actually like compete for for maybe more. Um, but I think actually the only one who really believed in it the the year after was Louis. Um, because the year after we play EQC 2016 in Italy, uh, in Gallipoli, I think. Yep. Um, and then we we make it to the final, and and coming into this, this final, actually, we were all just surprised and like not really ready to to win a final. Uh, we didn't win it eventually, um, but I remember Louis like really telling us like, okay, we need to stay focused. We can win this game before the final. But nobody was was with him. Me neither. It was only after this final that we lost. We rewatched it, and then we saw like there isn't that much difference at all. Actually, it was just details, and we could have been European champion. And Louis showed this to the whole team. And at that point, the beginning of the season of 2017, the whole team was really like, okay, there is one goal for us. Um, that's being European champion and we can do it if we work for it. So I think it's in two stages like, OK, we can compete and OK, we can actually win. Uh, and it's sad that it needed to be after the final and not before, but I guess that's getting experience and stuff. Yeah, yeah true. No, I think sort of what you describe in there, um, if you talk to sort of, certain people who talk about evidence in terms of sort of when they're kind of creating goals for themselves, having these little things to make them believe that they can do it. So obviously with quarterfinals, um, f- facing Oxford, the reigning champions at the time, giving them a good game, going, well, we-, we can do this off like a few years' experience as a team and with what, what one training session a week. Oh, well, maybe if we train a little bit more, who knows? And then, as you said, the following year being sort of amazed that you managed to get all the way to the final sort of it's, it's jumping two stages up through the tournament from the semis to the final and as, as you said there like just it, it was it was an amazing achievement to be in the final at that point um and kind of if you won it that would be amazing but yeah you probably weren't ready to win it at that point and yeah. needed that experience of just falling short the way you did to then eventually get there Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, interesting tier overall. Um, 
going to change lanes slightly. We'll, we'll definitely get back to 2017. So I know you yeah, really yeah. want to talk about that. Um, but I'd like to talk about you now because as an individual, um, yeah, f- firstly, starting off, obviously, within the Antwerp sort of setup, Louis kind of took took the reins as the coach, kind of coming up with the tactics and that side of things. And then when we were talking to him about the Antwerp setup, had you as kind of the, the emotional leader within that team, the captain of the team. So could you describe your leadership style? And is this something that's come naturally to you over time or is it something you've had to work on? Uh, yeah, that's that's also interesting. Uh, Louis already like indeed in discussed this uh, in his podcast, but so my leadership style, like I, I'm not really trying to be a leader. Uh, so I also don't want to be a leader. Um, <laughs> and I'm surely not a, a verbal leader. Like the worst thing you could ask from me is like to do a, a huddle speech before a game. Like don't ask this to me because I will fuck up terribly. Uh, <laughs> but the the part where I am actually like where I can be a leader or like when it comes naturally is the fact that I am capable of staying calm uh, during games, uh, before games, um, just to not lose my head, my head uh, and make sure the team doesn't lose their head. Uh, and I don't know how I do this, but yeah, this this comes natural to me and and. I think that's that's in game like a, a good example for the team to 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 carry forward with. Um, and then next to the pitch, yeah. So Louis explained about the the emotional manager, like a more of the the people manager. Um, I want to stress that Louis is not a bad people manager as well. Like he's very capable of doing that as well. But it's true that he is like the the coach, and he needs to make sure the whole training, for example, is happening. In a good way, and then I then I can have a more specific view on uh, individuals like who is struggling there, who is struggling there. I can have a small conversation. I can be a yeah a, a talking platform where people can can tell me some issues, and I can transfer them to Louis. So that's how we work indeed. Um, but yeah, my leadership style is actually I would say not existent, but I happen <laughs> to be on the pitch, and it's only on the pitch. Uh, a very good, uh, calm leader, and I think that's why I got the captain armband. Like I have asked in the past to just pass it on to some other player because I don't want to get uh, all the the yellow and blue cards for other people making mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah, but but uh, I happen to have a very nice, um, how do you say it, uh, relation with the referee all the time. I, I can say very calm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty, yeah, I find that pretty amazing, to be honest. Because um, I, I think from, from what you're describing there, you sort of, you lead by example is probably the simple way of putting it. Obviously, kind of being one of the key players in the team, sort of scoring all these goals, taking taking all these hits, sort of blocking all these shots and things. Uh, you kind of set the example in terms of the the standard that you want the team to reach in terms of the result, the, the end game, to win the game, to score the goals and all of that. Um, but also, yeah, as you mentioned, kind of being being calm. And like if, I guess, you go, okay, Sepp is calm in this situation, therefore I should be. Um, and like, I think you look at lots of situations 
whether it's in sport or whether it's in teaching or coaching or anything like that I find that it's kind of the leader of that group kind of sets the mood for it so I know we're just looking at last night the football there was Atletico Madrid versus Man City for example yeah yeah and you look at the Atletico Madrid manager it's Diego Simeone who's like famous for being this really kind of gutsy in your face uh when he, when he was a player and now he's continued that into a manager and then there's all these kind of I don't know aggressive sort of physical moments in that game um so it's quite easy for a team or a group of people to be a, a reflection of their leader yeah yeah I, I, that's a nice comparison like I think this is the way you can describe my leadership style but it's not really like um it, it's just a natural thing that happens like I, I don't try to be it's, it's just yeah just, and, the, and, the, and the fact that you you that you haven't sort of sought out it's kind of come come across you like p- people have i guess sort of chosen you as their leader whether you want it or not um and in a way it's not kind of a case of well as we said like you you reflect your personality on the team but also i think that empowers the team to be themselves and yeah to kind of get the most out of their performance mm-hmm. um kind of looking i guess may, more so at the sport now so with this question it can be like a, a mental thing a physical thing a technical thing um but what has been the hardest uh part to learn in quidditch oh yeah uh yeah so for me the, the hardest uh thing i needed to learn was actually the moment uh louis stopped chasing because in the beginning louis uh, Tim van Hagevoort and me were the, the three main chasers of Antwerp. Um, and of course, Faust left, so we needed beaters. And, and Louis and both Tim and Louis actually went to beating. Uh, and this is the moment my role as a, a chaser completely changed. So I went from being the the second middle chaser, like off-ball chaser, to the, the main ball carrier. Um, and this has definitely been the, the hardest thing for me to learn. Um, because you have a lot of responsibility and, and the hardest thing in this being a ball carrier was for me like to uh, not give the ball away. So I like to be a team player and I like to have a, a team playing style with, with everyone having the ball and with a lot of passes. But at some moments in the game, especially if the passing game is not going very well, you need to decide as a ball carrier, like, okay, now I need to make a goal myself through a drive. Uh, but I can easily feel like that's an egocentric decision or you, you, you not putting trust in your teammates. Um, so this was very hard for me. And, and I remember Louis talking into me like, ah, it's no problem. You just need, need to be more yeah, egocentric at this moment and then be sure of yourself and, and you need to be the leader. So if you need a goal and, and the best way for you, for your team to get the goal is you just driving it in, then you need to do that. Um, and yeah, so th- this change was, I think, the most difficult or hardest thing I learned in my Quidditch uh, career. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer. And I think that sort of comes under both like tactically, but also, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, like mentally as well, sort of becoming sort of the primary ball carrying option. Um, and it is quite a big adjustment when you, you kind of go from that support role 
playing off what the main ball carrier is giving you and sort of going, how can I support them? Uh, to sort of, how can I be the best teammate for the main ball carrier? And then once you are the main ball carrier, I think there's this like expectation that you do everything. Um, and then there's definitely, you, you definitely do more, obviously. Um, which I think you're talking about there, sort of that that change of role. So it's kind of learning sort of to play with your teammates, but as you said, learning to be egocentric at the right time and okay, go right. This is this is the moment I need to score at this point here, um, and sort of recognizing what is the right play at the right time, basically. Yeah, it's like just deciding when is the good time to play with your teammates, but also when is the time to not play with your teammates and yeah naturally this was a very hard thing for me to do i think about these he played basketball before quidditch and has that kind of mindset sort of the, the way you're describing it there is like say a point guard in basketball where they're kind of the main passing threat a lot of the time in their team and they get all the assists but also on certain teams i don't know you look at say a Chris Paul or a Russell Westbrook or a Steph Curry, for example, in the NBA. These are players who also score a lot of points as well. So it's having that mindset of you want to play as a team, but also, yeah, recognizing when it's the right time to score and the right time to, to take charge of a game. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yeah, so now kind of looking at, uh, I guess, the mental side of things. There's obviously, uh, we're going to talk about more played at sort of some of the biggest games in EQC and European games, the World Cup final, all these massive moments. Um, and as, as you mentioned, sort of within the Antwerp system, within Belgium, you're kind of the, the main guy. Like lots of people know who you are. They know how good a player you are and they, they want to stop you playing as well so that they can win. So there's a lot of pressure there. Um, so how do you mentally prepare to play a big game? Kind of what are you thinking about in the warm-up and the moments leading up to the match starting? Uh, yeah. Um, firstly, like, I can be very stressed in front of so, such a big game. Like, I'm always sick in my stomach and I make sure to, to go to the toilet before a game. Um, but like, yeah, what I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just trying to stay very calm. Uh, and I'm also very calm on the outside. Like, I don't speak a lot. People also need to leave me alone for most of the time. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking about, I, I'm just trying to visualize a lot of situations. Just preparing for the game, very, very uh, literally in my head. Like, okay, if this happens, I need to do that. If this happens, I need to do that. Um, yeah, visualizing. And this is my preparation and also of course you, you think back about all the things i did to get there and if you're in a final then you have already played the round of eight uh round of 16 i mean the quarterfinals semi-final and and all this moment you also take in okay like we, we made all these steps and all these things you think about make the final even more important but that's good for me like it needs to be the most important thing and then I understand that I need to be performing at this stage. Yeah, this is how I think about it. Um, it's the way that works for me. But but like as I said in the beginning, like even then I, I feel quite sick 
like especially on the brooms up it's so much <laughs> stress uh, but from the, the moment the whistle goes like everything is fine uh, just uh, playing the game yeah that, that's that's quite an interesting answer there sort of the two sides of it both kind of the nerves of it um but also yeah the visualization you talked about i think that does quite a good job of keeping you calm sort of thinking about different situations you're going to find yourself in in a game and are you practicing those in the warm-up or just 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 thinking about it so that when those happen in the game like you don't get spooked by the the occasion um because obviously like a quidditch match is very short like you're looking at i don't know 18 minutes minimum to maybe i don't know 30 40 whatever but generally they're quite short so you have these sort of very few moments and if you make a mistake here or there which i know you you concede a goal or you don't score a goal because you make a mistake here that's quite big yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I think that's quite quite a good way to prepare yourself kind of thinking about what moments will happen so that when they do happen you're prepared yeah absolutely yeah, yeah and also i guess like you talked about the nerves there like I, I guess in those moments you you feel nervous but as you talked about there like you've been through I know several games of the tournament, it's all built up to this point. Um, and like you, you really see it with certain players how they can play terribly when there's nothing on the line. But when it's a final, you know it's so important. Um, that's kind of what the top that's the time to perform. And then, but then when you get out on the pitch, brooms up gets called, it just turns into another game essentially. The yeah. opponent is obviously harder than the previous one. But uh, it turns into another game in the end. And yeah, so once you get into it, you sort of settle into the occasion rather than the, the spectacle of it all. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely good to talk about that um, and kind of get an idea of what you're like as, a, as an individual. Um, so we're going to go back to 2017 now. Um, <laughs> you're kind of crowning moment as the European champion uh, when Antwerp won in Mechelen, Belgium, back in March 2017. So a home home title uh, for you guys. So how do you remember that tournament in particular? Kind of what key moments stand out to you? Yeah, like like my first memory is just like is like the best day of my life and i'm, I'm not really like lying it's, it's really true like uh we were so so happy and relieved and it was such a long build-up and then you have this moment of winning and yeah it was just the best day of my life um but the tournament itself yeah as i said earlier like in 2017 it was the first edition that our full squad everyone believed in the possibility of winning you see if we played our best game um next to that or above of that um it was in Antwerp and all our friends and family were there like my parents are divorced but they were there together um everyone was there with friends and then playing a final in such a dramatic way because it was very close it could have gone both ways for sure um and then we win it and the explosion of emotions is just crazy so actually after we win I don't really remember how we got from the field to the social that night. <laughs> I don't remember. It just blurred away. Um, but 
Uh, I, I, there are some funny like stories from the, the social afterwards, right? I remember people challenging, challenging me all the night, like some Italian guys to do a, a sprint challenge outside of the social against me. And Luke Trevitt uh, challenged me for arm wrestling. Uh, so I, I lost both challenges. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't care because I was European champion. Yeah, it was it was a, yeah, a great, great day. Uh, really nice. And I think the, the key moments through that tournament, uh, there are several. And then you always need some key moments to, to get in a final. Like, and, and people don't see that very often, but like it starts with getting through day one without many problems, like without injuries or without people playing too many minutes or people being unhappy. Like that's a very important first step. And we managed that. Um, and then on day two, it, it, it's a it's a road to the final and it's important to conserve energy, but at the same time go all out because you need to win every game, of course. And it's a very hard balancing scale like you need to balance um yeah and and, and they, they too like the key moment i think is the moment we see raptors going out getting knocked out and titans as well um and of course like you don't need to lie about that we think our chances of winning are going up uh, and then we play the semi-final against the werewolves of london and um not to disrespect them, but we we kind of demolished them. Like we were <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> our best game of the tournament, so we felt really really good. Um, so these were the key moments. Only in this semi final, we lost Louis. Uh, Louis got injured minutes in the final, but it was not a lot. Um, and I think that's also one of the key moments where, why the the final was so much harder. Like, of course, Unicorns are a great, great team. Uh, they gave us a very good game. Uh, yeah, so this was how I remember the tournament. Uh, very good memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, lots, to, lots to feel proud about. And obviously doing it at home in Belgium and having all those supporters with you, um, members of family and things like that, um, definitely kind of added to the experience of it all. Um, and just kind of looking at this tournament as opposed to, say, the times where maybe you've come up short in the final or the quarterfinals, what do you think gave Antwerp the edge to win EQC this time uh, in comparison? What what was different? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really I don't really know um, because to be honest, like this was the only final. We were really like outperformed in the chaser game, in my opinion. Um, actually, the unicorns were the better of us. They, I think, they were four up two times in the game. Mm. Eventually, we got back, but the, yeah, they really outperformed us, and still we got the win. And I think it's in such details um, because if you look only to the quality we bring in the game. This would have been the final we would have lost, and we won of we would have won two other ones. So I don't know whether it gave us the edge. Like uh, one thing for sure is like that we played against unicorns, which uh, and they they didn't have a really good seeker. Like uh, they had seekers, but they rotated a lot, and they really didn't really had a, a standout seeker. Mm -hmm. um, 
and all other teams in all other finals had. Um, but I think this is also like just a detail. I, it, it's hard for me to, to pinpoint one thing. Um, maybe it's the the supporters, like the fans that were there, or family. Maybe it's that. I don't know because yeah, it was in Antwerp for the only time. That's the time we won. It's it's hard to say. Mm. Yeah, and uh, well, obviously, as you mentioned before, like Lou picked up that injury in the semi-final and didn't get a chance to play as much the final as you guys would have would have liked to. So kind of adjusting to that. Um, but also, yeah, obviously having that, that home support. So even in those difficult moments, you're going, oh, well, we're not just doing it for us, we're doing it for them as well. And I guess as well, you look at the previous year, getting to the final in 2016, obviously you'd, you'd beaten unicorns in the semis and then gone to the final and lost to Titans there. So you'd already been in this this major final the year before. So kind of having that experience of being that big, big occasion. Yeah. Also having beaten the unicorns going, well, this is a team we've beaten in the past. We've been in this game before. So, yeah, as the game kind of went on, you were able to kind of mentally pull yourself back into it and pull, pull off the win. Yeah, yeah, we surely felt confident at the time to to take on the unicorns. Because indeed we we won against them the, the year before and we had a good tournament, so that gave us probably the edge as well. But during the during the final, there were a lot of times that we lost this confidence, like this confidence, because things weren't going that well. Uh, yeah, and then indeed we could, we got it back, maybe through the crowd, or yeah. Yeah, so a lot lots of kind of fine details that sort of resulted in the the eventual win. Um. Yeah, let, let's bring things forward a year. Um, let's talk about the 2018 World Cup. Um, can you tell us about the experience of that tournament? But I guess especially the final it was, a, it was a particularly memorable game for everyone who watched it. Yeah, like yeah, the, the tournament. It was like a com- you can compare it to the 2017 EQC. Just like we had a very nice road to the final. Uh, we had a hard moment with in the quarterfinal against France, of course, with overtime. Um, we got through that. And then we have the final. And this is, this is such an unbelievable game. Uh, and it's actually the only time, because we discussed this earlier, the only time I actually struggled with stress after Brooms Up. So the Brooms Up signal goes and, and I'm still stressed. Because yeah, it's it's like the USA playing there. Those players are very impressive, just how they how they look as a team. Um, yeah, for for every one of us, it was a very hard game to start, an unbelievable game how it went. Uh, you all know how the score went. Um, we were not with, a, with our usual starting lineup, and we were not synchronized at all in reacting to the presses. So we got fucked <laughs> in the <laughs> beginning of the game. Um, but anyway, we, we took the early timeout. And after that, uh, we got out calm. We got back to the pitch calm. And personally, this is the moment the, the stress was gone for me. So we played three minutes against them. Um, and I felt like, OK, all the chasers, the keepers that are now on the pitch, I can play at their level. I don't need to stress anymore. Like this is just a game, like you said before. 
Uh, and from this moment, I, I think like most of the players of Belgium had a similar way of thinking. And from this point, the final was a real final because we were 30 down. And then uh, after 18 minutes, we were 20 down. So actually during a period of 15 minutes, we played them yeah, one up for us. So this was a real final, but uh, the start of the game, uh, yeah, the USA ran over us. Uh, and that's also credit to them, of course. Um, so this is like, that was a nice story, but then, yeah, it was also very, very disappointing that we, we lost because in a very early catch was very, very hard to swallow because as you know, as everyone knows, uh, there's a Quidditch player, like from the moment Sinchon pitch starts, there are a lot of new opportunities, like both in the beating game as in the chasing game, actually like everything changes. And I'm not saying we would have um, won or, or beaten them in, in those specific games, but new opportunities to show what we could. Like, since on pitch game as a chaser can be very slow and tactical, it can be very physical. And I would would have loved to try this out, uh, especially in, uh, in the beating game as well. I know Louis was really upset and disappointed that he couldn't show what he had worked for in since on pitch. But yeah, shit happens. Um, they caught really fast, and that's fair play to them. Well done to them. Um, but yeah, it left a bitter taste to us to just not being able to play this game longer because 18 minutes is a really short time. Like I would have loved to play this final 30 or 40 minutes. Um, yeah. So it ended with a big disappointment, and I remember sitting next to the field shortly after with Louis and we were just chatting like about the the five-year road up to that point in time and, and we, re we realized that this chance in a final was like totally not evident. We were a, a very small group of young people and suddenly we, we not suddenly like through hard work we make it up to this stage, to the big opportunity, big opportunity in the final, and we lost it. So yeah, that's a, a very hard one to swallow, but it is what it is, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a real kind of mix of emotions. It's obviously like the the road you went on to to reach that final is is pretty incredible. I, I remember um, day one when you beat the French the first time um and uh, I, I saw you guys like outside your little kind of the athletes village had like the um those kind of mobile homes didn't they um yeah. and i saw you guys like after that um and uh i think i, I predicted on like the prediction thing that france were gonna win okay <laughs> like say sorry say fucking sorry like <laughs> two of this and um, I was like, mate, fair play like it was it was, it was great like you were clearly like so hyped and so motivated um having beaten kind of your your old rivals in europe yeah yeah um and then to do it again on day two in a very close game in overtime and then beat the Tur turkish again in the semis so it's a really tough road to get to the final and then you play the us and like as you mentioned there kind of those first few minutes like try to stay calm with the 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 spectacle of it and how important a game it is playing against the team that everyone thinks they're supposed to win. So I guess there's that kind of fear there, isn't isn't there? Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> but it was it was actually like when I look back to it, like the this disappointment is gone. Like okay, I got over it, um, and it's actually a really nice game to see because USA was actually playing at such a high level that we needed to find new ways and improve during the game to match them. And we actually did this. Like um, I remember, I gave a few assists to, to, for example, Paul Bonnet. Paul Bonnet, uh, yeah, he's a wing player who is like I think third in the rotation. Um, and and the only way for us to score was actually like getting the ball to all our stations and then ending with him, and then score. And and, and we also had Florence. I think that was the first goal. And it was just every goal we scored felt like. An extraordinary goal because it really was a team effort. It wasn't there was no easy goal, which is of course logical in the final. But I want to stress that, like, uh, and on that experience, we can really build further, and that, that's the nice thing I, I take with it from the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And like one thing I noticed when I was like, I've, I've watched this game several times and analyzed it and looked it over. One thing I really noticed about you playing against them was that the US really respected you as a player. Like you played, I think the whole the whole game, right? Didn't sub off. Yeah, I sub off for like one minute because I got Trudeau running into my stomach. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> probably hurts, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but apart from that, you played the whole game and like you you watch like the US half court offense. I like. There's no real point where they run at you. They kind of go, okay, this guy's huge. We're not gonna, we're not gonna risk that. Um, so then, like, I don't know, maybe kind of draw you in and then pass off or take like a mid-range shot or something yeah. um, on offense. Um, and then when you were attacking, so when they were defending, they were so kind of aware of how much of a threat you are that so much of the defense was kind of trying to stop you that you. would You'd have these passes to to Paul and to Florence and give them these goals. Like I, I look, I, I'm not. Did you score in that game? I'm not sure. No, I didn't score. No, which, which is amazing. Like you score in pretty much every game you play. Yeah, but yeah, also World like, Cup final, you had like I don't know five, six assists or something like that. Yeah, I, I think I got four. So don't yeah. don't overestimate me. But <laughs> I, I think what you said is true. And and with this happening, like maybe I, I don't know what they tactically discussed, but if they focus on me, other players get more chances. And for example, this final was really uh, Nathan Wilput's final. Like he played a very good game, and he got maybe more freedom. And he took this freedom, and he played maybe the best game of his life with with shots, with good passes, and. That's that's so nice to play in a team where if there is a lot of focus potentially on me or when I'm playing not my best game, that the other ones step up and and they become a threat. And uh, it was it was a really nice game actually. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like it's also cool that when those players had those opportunities, they they rose to the occasion. Like it, it would be quite easy to go, oh shit, this is on me now. And then maybe not quite executing, but obviously you'd given each other the confidence to to play with freedom. And after that initial period where you guys were a little bit nervous to sort of come out and go, yeah, why not? Let's play this game. Let's put the US under pressure. And uh, yeah, as you said, it turned into an amazing match. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, fantastic to talk about that. And uh, I think out of this episode, that's probably what I was most looking forward to talk to you about. So <laughs> definitely uh, good to discuss. Um, so moving on now, um, kind of, uh, I guess, kind of looking at more painful memories the following year. So during Louis' episode, we talked a lot about the pain of losing to Titans at EQC 2019, their epic quarterfinal game, and then to France in the EG final that year. So now you've had time to, to think about it and reflect on it. What are the lessons that you've learned from those defeats? Yeah, again, it's hard to take like big lessons because it, it, it went, it gone, it, it has gone wrong on like small details again. But like, if you want to have one lesson um, per gameplay wise, um, then of course it's like maybe playing more conservative with a big lead in Session Pitch. I'm referring to the EQC 2019 uh, quarterfinal. Um, but apart from that, it's just hard. Like, France and Titans are very tough opponents. And every time we we meet them, we have a very tight game, very hard game. And and, and they happen to, to win the most often. And it's mostly, it's all always in range. And yeah, they catch. Um, it, it's hard to put blame on, on Seekers because Seekers are also doing whatever they can. Like, and I'm not blaming anyone. Um, but yeah, whatever I learned. Um, potentially, and this is maybe something important. Like, it, it's maybe better for us to play them or play the most hard, uh, the the most difficult team in the tournament as soon as possible, um, because we have a, a small team. Like, we don't have much depth. Um, most other teams do have that. Um, so, in the EQC 2019 quarterfinal, we were really fresh. And, and and we actually like ran over them. I think after 18 minutes we were 50 up against Titans. Like nobody has ever done that before. No. Um, and this, I think, because it was the quarterfinal. If this would have this would have been the final, I think we would have been way more exhausted. And actually, this is what you can see in the EG uh, EG final, because the teams there are. Um, yeah, there is, you have also Gent players and Paris Frog players, but most of the core is the same. But we were so knackered, so exhausted from the semi-final against Germany that like we couldn't sprint over the field anymore. Um, yeah, but like this also sounds as excuses. I'm just <laughs> looking for what what can I learn from this uh, defeat? That's also and maybe we're going to talk about it later. But that's the not depressing part, but the, the, the hard part, like it's hard to grasp what went wrong or what we could have done more or better in these matchups to to win it. Yeah, it's hard. I, I, don't, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's something that you've really thought about. And yeah, like it just comes down to those those little details. You mentioned there the the quarterfinal, like it, it, as we were saying in Louis' episode, like it's just it's a situation that nobody before has found themselves in with the Titans. Like when you when you mentally prepare to play that team and you know how amazing they are and how much success they've had, you sort of go into it going, "This is going to be a really tough game. 
this could be snitch range or we could be down so no one prepares to be to be up um so yeah it's not, it's not a real shot prepare. like it's not that we didn't prepare for for Stone pitch of course we did prepare yeah. but uh yeah i think like and it's it just details again i think uh our seeker victor was in, with his first dive was really really close to catching the snitch and louis saw this and, and decided okay this will be over in a minute we'll go full on the snitch and we'll make sure we we finish this quick uh but this didn't happen uh, and at the same time, we we lost possession twice um, as chasers. Yeah, and that's how they get back, and then you know, then they catch for overtime and they catch again, and that's how it went. It's, uh, as Louis talked about the pain, like this is my most painful memory of my college career because, like the, the EG final was a close final. Like you couldn't tell like who deserved to win. It was just a close game, a nice game. But this EQC quarterfinal, I, I I felt like this was the best game we played in our career, the, the best first first 18 minutes. We, and still you lose after being so much up. Yeah, I, I really cried. Like I, I was on the pitch in tears. The whole team was in tears. And then one hour later when we hugged each other again, it was we were crying again. And yeah, it was a big, big disappointment again. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, hard times. Yeah, definitely. But I suppose, yeah, kind of one to, to, to spin it with like a positive look that you put so much effort in there. And uh, obviously it was in snitch range at the end. And it's, it was, you know, snitch range, you can go either way. So on another day, we could be talk. well, in another world, we could be talking about an amazing EG win. Yeah, um, yeah. And but you could can... easily... Like at another tournament, whether it's World Cup or EG or whatever, like that same same situation can happen again. You you know that you've got that performance in you, so hopefully it can give you confidence for the future. Who knows? Of course, yeah, it does. It does, but yeah, like you don't get chances forever, so you need to take them when they're there. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely good to to reflect on that, and uh, yeah kind of see uh what there is to learn basically um yeah so let's move on to kind of the the big question which i'm sure all our listeners are eager to know about um during the pandemic uh antwerp and yourself decided to retire from the sport um which we're all very sad about um there are lots of uh people saying nice things about you guys especially I know I was. <laughs> and then uh, you came back and we're all very grateful that you've done so. Um, so firstly, kind of talking about that initial decision, like why did you and Antwerp decide to retire during the pandemic? Uh, yeah, so of course we we have been playing with the same core of players for the, I think, seven years we were playing there or six. And every one of us sacrificed a lot of time for the sport and uh, like that's not hard for me to do, like I enjoy it, uh, but it's year after year and then we had these disappointments um, year after year and as I said earlier, like and, and in the end we couldn't really grasp like what can we do more, like what can we do more to make sure all our efforts results 
in a win. It feels like a coin flip at the end, and and so much effort for a coin flip is maybe not worth it. That's one part. One part. Um, the other part, uh, also the, was discussed in the earlier post earlier podcast, is that we really struggle with um, recruiting players because of how Belgium works and uh, students going to their home in the weekends, uh, etc. We had a we had a hard time recruiting new players, and therefore the players that were there were getting out of energy. Me as well, like me for sure. Um, and then the pandemic happened. Um, EQC got cancelled, and like this was our goal. Like, okay, with the team we discussed, we do one more EQC, we do one more World Cup, and then it's over. Like we do it 100% one more time, and then we finish. Because if we do it 80%, it's not worth it. Everyone needs to be 100%. And that's a lot to ask of people. It is really a hard lot to ask. Um, and so this got cancelled due to COVID. And they were like, okay, we we cannot ask from ourselves to to keep up working for the coming two years, three years, whatever it's going to be, because we didn't know back then. Uh, so we decided to to stop. Um, and actually, at this moment, I felt really good about that. So we stopped, and I was like. Whew, Sucks that we cannot perform anymore, but yeah, the tournaments were not there, so um, so I was actually relieved. But uh, then a few months passed, and uh, yeah, everyone, especially me as well, felt that I really missed the team. Not necessarily Quidditch in the first place, but just doing a sport with a team that is Antwerp, like a very unique group of people for me. I really missed that. Um, so uh, when when COVID was like over for the first time, <laughs> it was over for a few times. But um, during uh, in between the the different lockdowns, uh, I sat together with Louis, and I was in very good shape. And I felt like, oh, if only I could play Quidditch now with the shape I have now, I, we could have we could have been even better. Um, so that's when Louis also stepped on the train again, and then we got everyone back on it again, and. And, and now we're back and I think, yeah, nothing really <laughs> changed. Like it's, it's hard to say, but we are still the same people uh, with the same energy. We we demand from everyone that is in the team to go 100% or we don't go. Um, yeah, we're still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really great to hear that the whole kind of journey that you went on um kind of emotionally during the last few years um and uh yeah great to have you back obviously um you, you mentioned there that when you made that decision to retire you felt relieved what what did you really mean by that yeah it's, it's hard to explain like um like i do apart from quidditch i do a lot of other um hobbies like i do scouts and i do football and it's always a yeah a fine balance between those hobbies like i need to skip stuff from the scouts to do quidditch and uh, like I, what i said earlier like you need to do 100 percent. i do 100 quidditch but therefore i cannot do 100 percent all the other things i do and that's frustrating 
uh, frustrating for the people I work together on those places, frustrating for myself. Uh, so that's why I felt relieved because then I could drop this 100% involvement for, yeah, forever or <laughs> two years um, and focus on the other stuff and do this stuff better because I hate doing stuff half, like not, not completely. You understand? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that make, makes a lot of sense. And uh, when you kind of reach the level that you've you've reached and all that you have to do to get there, like yeah, other things unfortunately, well, they slip and yeah, sort of not be able to do those as well as you'd like to is also quite difficult. And I think that's something that a lot of people, not just within the Quidditch community, but also just generally in other sports, they they feel that as well. Um, so that's very understandable. Um, obviously, yeah, you talked about sort of sa the the sacrifices you guys have made to to train and to be as best you can. So, do you think the way that you trained and prepared yourself and played for Quidditch made it hard to enjoy the sport? Would you say um, you sacrificed a lot to get to your level of performance? Um, like that's a fact that we sacrifice a lot, but I think all players on top level do that. Uh, mm. um, but, and for me personally, it's not the case that I, it's hard for me to enjoy the sport because of that. Uh, quite the contrary, actually. Like the harder I work for it, the more I put into it, the more important it becomes. And as a consequence, the more extreme the emotions become in final. But that, that's positive and negative. But I like mm. it that way. That's 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 how I love to play sports. Like you, you go all in, and then you lose or you win, but you go all in. Um, there are no excuses, and actually, that's the hardest because if you lose and you have done everything, the only blame is on you being just not good enough. Like <laughs> if you understand what I mean? But when you go all in and you win, like yeah. it's the biggest compliment you and the biggest prize you can give yourself. Um, oh, definitely. I think it kind of I've done a lot of sort of reading and research over the last few months and things um, on kind of self-improvement and things like that and kind of the one one of the things I guess what you're talking about a lot in terms of your approach to sport and the way you do things is having outcome goals so for you guys that would be winning EG or winning EQC or winning the World Cup um, and you're so so concentrated and so focused on that goal so that if you don't make it like it's it's obviously really difficult um whereas say i know that so, some people have more of what we call like a process goal so they're enjoying the everyday and sort of getting better as an individual so that even when it gets to these big moments even though they might not win or they might not achieve that big outcome goal they could be really proud that I've given this everything and I've got better from where I was here to this point yeah. here. Um, yeah, that's the first it's thing. given them a better better outlook on it, maybe. Yeah, but so, so for me personally, I really enjoy uh, striving after these outcome goals. That's what I enjoy. And I'm just very lucky. Uh, and that's the most beautiful thing about the Antwerp team is that I found a group of like 10 people with the same attitude or close to the same attitude. Maybe I'm a little bit extreme, but 
Uh, and for, for me, that's very unique, uh, but I'm aware that um, for some people, uh, and especially in Antwerp, because of this, uh, for some people, it is hard to enjoy the sport. And uh, potentially that's also a reason why we struggle with uh, recruiting, because if you're not have the same attitude, it's maybe hard uh, to fit in. But like, now I'm aware of this. Uh, I, I make sure to try to have more fun on training as well, and and maybe put the the more serious work for the outcome goals in uh, my individual work next to training, um, because of course uh, it needs to be fun for everyone, and I cannot expect the same attitude from everyone as I have. Yeah, it's, it's very mature of you, I think. Um... So yeah, obviously now, now that you come back, kind of what is what was kind of the the real reason that you came back? As you, as you mentioned there, you said you kind of missed being around the people and you wanted to kind of do that again. Um, but is, is there something more to that? Um, no, I think you can really bring it back to the the group of people we have here, and also what we just discussed, like working to a big outcome goal. I think if it's not for Quidditch, I will find another way to do this with extreme sport challenges. Like this is what I really love to do, work to a big outcome goal. Um, but I prefer to do it with a group instead of doing it alone. Um, and yeah, next to that, we are just a bunch of friends. And if you have the chance to do such a thing together, it's, it's just the best thing in the world, actually. Like, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and that's why because i think i started the, the the talks about coming back because i really yeah i think i both started the conversation about quitting and about starting up again um, <laughs> so it's all your fault basically it's all my <laughs> fault um yeah but I, i'm glad we, we we retired and i'm glad we're back like <laughs> both mm. cases yeah definitely and, uh, obviously like with the pandemic like we've d discussed on various episodes of the podcast, like it's been a really, although it's been shit that we haven't been able to play Quidditch, it's been really nice for people to have that time away from the sport. And obviously with yourself, like having different hobbies to to focus on and kind of within reason, within like the different lockdown rules and things like that, being able to do different things in their lives that maybe during Quidditch they couldn't do. Yeah. So exactly. that now they can come back to Quidditch and go, yeah, let's let's do it again. Yeah, let's with like a kind of renewed energy. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I guess, yeah, we we're talking about there about, I guess, the, the competitive burnout, um, that sort of playing to the level that you do has. Um, so kind of coming back, uh, like, do you want to do anything differently from before or is it kind of the same energy that you guys had kind of bringing that back together? Uh, yeah, I think we're not doing very much differently. Um, and I wouldn't have it so either. Like it is quite the same and potentially, potentially this leads to another competitive burnout in the future, but I don't care. Like, like, I like the way we work and I think the, the group of people likes it as well. Um, and that's how we 
get so far and get such a high level and so for the moment I wouldn't change anything like I just would like to keep getting better as a team again um, but yeah if you ask me if that's uh, the smartest option for a long-term club yeah I wouldn't say yes but that's another thing mm-hmm yeah obviously got these kind of big ambitions and yeah I guess that's what really motivates you to come back the yeah hopefully kind of finding an environment where everyone will come on that, that journey with you and uh yeah see what happens <laughs> um we're gonna jump into the mailbag now um so we've got a few questions here that kind of link into what we've just discussed in terms of retirement and coming back and all of that um so our, our first question uh from lawrence um he's got he's got a few on kind of this coming EQC in Limerick in Ireland, which we're yeah. pretty excited for. Um, the first one from him says, uh, is EQC Antwerp's last dance? Uh, a short answer, I think not. Like, yes, I, I think he means that uh, <laughs> we will retire after this year and that's not the case. There yeah. is a World Cup coming uh, next year, so we, we will stay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just kind of doing it on like, I don't know, up to World Cup and then see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Like, I think most of us made or are making the, the switch from university to working life right now. Um, and if we can get through that, I see no reason why to continue, but, but we'll see. Uh, it's hard to predict. Um, but for now, we are looking to hire pitches for next year already now. So we will be there. We will be there next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good to hear it. Um, this one's now kind of a more, I guess, practical question um, to do with your group draw, which I'm <laughs> obviously quite fascinated by, um, with a bit of a vested interest myself. Um, so, yeah, uh, so Lawrence asks, are you happy to not be playing Paris Frog for once in the group stage or any London team? And would you have preferred any of those over Raptors? So first of all, I cannot grasp how we have a top 18 every time in our group. It's just crazy. <laughs> like year after year after year, we have a very hard uh, group draw. Because now we have Raptors, but you have been uh, sixth and fourth in the last two EQCs. Yep. Yeah, crazy. Uh, but anyway, um, to answer on the, on the question, uh, I would have maybe prepared London Werewolves just to take uh, revenge because they beat us in 2018 in the group stage, uh, which was a very good game from them. Need to admit that. Uh, but actually, all good matchups are, are are fun. Like like Frog and London and Raptors in the group stage. You see this and you think, "Fuck, <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be a hard game." But at the same time, having one hard game on day one is not that bad like like you can really test everything is functioning for day two because day two is the day and even if you potentially lose uh, on day one and you make it through to upper bracket then still it's all about day two um so yeah i'm looking forward to play raptors mm -hmm. the likewise bring it on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially uh, after this weekend, BQC, uh, I know we're pretty fired up. 
uh, for EQC now. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I've watched the games. <laughs> Done your homework. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, with, uh, well, with, with the EQC, like, obviously people look at the rivalry between you guys and Tysons, but what also needs to be said, as like Lawrence was pointing to there, is that you guys have played Paris Frog so many times. Yeah, it's crazy. It is ridiculous. And yeah. like sometimes it's close. I remember 2015 when I think Louis is like a second away from catching the snitch and winning the game. Crazy times. Um, yeah. And then the other times like you guys have just about come on top against them. Yeah. Yeah, but even to the 2017 uh, in the quarterfinal, I think it was or maybe what the group stage we we played them twice this tournament. It was 60-60 or something. Like they're just a good team and they're always good. At some point we we came up on top, but it's never an easy game against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Duh. maybe uh in the bracket <laughs> face them again this year. Yeah. There's like this unwritten rule now that in EQC, like that matchup has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not uh, valid. Mm. Um, this question from Tongi, who would like to know, how are you so great all the time? <laughs> yeah, I already saw the question on Facebook. Uh, I need to laugh with it. Uh, I don't know. We'd all like to know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, it's a funny question, and then I, I don't have a valid answer for it. Um, I, I think he forgot a few weeks ago that I actually played a very bad game against Brussels. Um, but anyway, on a serious note, um, like I, I thought about it a lot because I played from the start and I always have been in the first team of Antwerp and, and playing a lot of minutes. And I thought like, why? Because there are so many other people coming into the sport and okay, I'm doing my work, but I'm still playing my minutes as a starting player for Antwerp. How does that come? And uh, I actually did like um, physical tests in my uh, university course. Um, and on all physical aspects, I was very average. So like we did push-ups and pull-ups and whatever, like stamina, and I was average with everything except for balance. So we have um, a course of 400 students and from this 400 i was the best in balance yeah. so that's mm -hmm. remarkable uh, and i think like in quidditch especially as a ball carrier but as actually as every player every position it's important to have balance because then you have time to overlook everything you, you can always stop your motion like you know you understand what i mean like you're yep. not vested in the run you can always you're, you're fully your in control mind. of yourself yeah so I yeah. think maybe that's a serious, uh, uh, serious answer on the funny question. <laughs> hmm. The very kind of appropriate for Quidditch, sort of being average at pretty much everything. But then when you come into the Quidditch world, you're you're dominant. You're one of the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one, I guess, is kind of a fun one for you. Um, what would be your perfect quaffle lineup? of players you've never played with? That's three Quaffle players that you'd like to play with, essentially, that you so, haven't done before. Tough questions. <laughs> so uh, three players to play with me. Yeah. 
So you can be the keeper, you can be the ch- your chaser. Yeah. I never played before. Does it do a fantasy tournament count? Um, don't know. You, you you can count whatever you want to count. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to do without the fantasy tournament as well. Um, so I would pick um, Valentin Farese. Let's go. Good choice. Uh, yeah, if we have played against each other so m- many times, and he's such a good player, both physically shutting, passing it. Uh, yeah, I love him as a player, but I hate to play against him. Um, and then, yeah, I, she's not that active anymore, but Sila Yuxel, um, uh, I really liked her chasing style. Uh, as a wing chaser, she was very valu- valuable for the team. Um, oh, I, I'm going to forget people. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the, for the the last one, I'm actually doubting. I'm going to say two names, um, <laughs> but I'm doubting between Elizabeth Jörstedt, um for the same reason as Sila Yuxel, but also she's a very good friend. And uh, yeah, we actually have played together on fantasy tournaments, um, but not in a, in, a, in a real club. And uh, the same for uh, Sam Percy. I don't know if you know him. Oh, that, that's a that's a wild card, that one. Yeah, the Sam Percy. Yeah, like, you played at Valentine's together. If you play with Sam Percy as a ball, ball carrier, me as a middle, Valentin as a wing, and Silla as a wing, or Elizabeth, that's a really good team. Like Sam Percy, he's, he's distributing and his faking skills are mad. That's how I remember him, at least. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying these are the best, this is the best possible team, but I would really be happy to play with this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting choice. Uh, I'm glad you picked Val, because obviously from the, the eighth man fancy all-time drafting, I picked you and I picked him in the same team. So Yeah. Glad that you agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, some, some interesting picks there. Um, cool. This next question. Um, this comes from Amund. Asks, um, first, his first question, which is, I don't think he really has an answer. Aren't you supposed to be dead? This first question. <laughs> and then he also asks, what play styles do you find exciting and boring? Um... Uh, yeah, it's easy to say that I like our playing style and I <laughs> like, uh, but I think the way we play is, is we play a very passing game where the ball goes around the hoops a lot. That's how we like to play. I don't think we always play like this because it will get predictable as well, but uh, that's how I like to play and I love to play against an offensive dynamic team as well and I think the Ikusita's 2019 quarterfinal is really a beautiful game because Titans play a very counter-offensive, uh, dynamic style of play in this game. Um, they didn't play three-hoop defense for it because I, I see you're a bit confused maybe. Um, but so they play a very offensive, dynamic game and we as well. And I think this is a beautiful game to watch. That's how I like to play Quidditch. And I, I know the Titans... Um, prefer to have a dynamic, fast-paced kind of Quidditch as well. Um, on the other hand, so what I think is boring, 
Um, and it's it's funny because France played like this in EG, um, but a lot of teams do. Uh, is the three hoop defense? Um, I understand why people do it, why they use it, um, but I think you're admitting that you're that you're worse than your opponent, and you would like to try and have a chance of winning this way. And I also think you're giving up on having fun in the game because you have three players in defense just locked in a position and they don't have any freedom like okay someone can step up step out but you don't have really freedom to do things uh, so i find three hoop defense really boring um, of course i understand because it's not easy to attack um, but we'll show on eqc that it's possible to win against them <laughs> Mm-hmm. Fighting talk, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so this next question. Um, so says here. Um, if you had to choose one, would you rather win EQC again, or would you rather win European Games? That's a very tough one. Yeah. <laughs> because I, my first thoughts is uh, I want to win EQC again uh, because of yeah I don't know the group of Antwerp it's a very we spend a lot of time together like the national team is nice but you see each other every week in a club uh, but I already have one EQC and I have not one EG so that's the tricky part yeah but I would be okay with winning EQC not winning EG and winning World Cup <laughs> you see, <laughs> if I don't win World Cup, then I would prefer EG over EQC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way you've answered that. And, uh, very creative. Um, we've got a couple more uh, to finish off with here. Um, what tips would you give to someone uh, hoping to become a top chaser or keeper? Um, oh. Oh, it's hard to be specific because there are thousands of things. Uh, but in, in general, as a player, I would give the tip to be critical for yourself in the first place, but not destructive, just critical um, instead of teammates. Because I have seen in my Quidditch career a lot of players that, like for example, at practice give a bad pass. They know they gave a bad pass. But they tell the other player, oh, you should have run there to catch it. I think that's not the right way. I think you should say, oh, sorry, next time I'll give the pass to you or something like that and, and not be destructive. So next time you give the pass, you should try to have as much confidence as before. But um, yeah, be self-critical. I think that's a very important thing. But then, yeah, a tip, a tip for playing as a chaser. I think chaser was a question, right? Yeah, chaser or keeper, so a quaffle player, basically. Um, take your time. <laughs> like, that's what I say to a lot of, of new people. Like, when you have the quaffle in your hand, especially as a new player, the only thing you're thinking about is how do I get this ball out of my hand as soon as possible <laughs> <laughs> to, to another player or something, but uh, then you fuck up mostly. So to take your time. Hold the ball, look to the teammates, to the opponent, try to get everything in and learn as much as possible. And and losing the ball 
while carrying the ball is not the worst thing ever. Just drop the ball and next offense will be better. Um, but yeah, I see a lot of people stressed with holding the ball and it's sad because it shouldn't be like that. It's, it's practice, just hold the ball and try to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely some good, good advice there. Sort of re really good to take responsibility for yourself and yeah, being self-critical and self-aware of uh, thinking what, what you can do to improve. Because mm -hmm. I know you got coaches and things like that, but a lot of the time, if you really think about it, like the answers can come from within. And our, our final question, um, what is the favorite place or favorite country that you've played Quidditch in? Oh. Uh, it's hard to um, generalize it to a country because it's mostly cities and stuff. Mm. Um, but I've liked it the most in Oxford, actually. But it's just we have been there so many times. Such nice memories. Like I remember uh, we did a tournament there. We were 16 years old, so we couldn't even enter the social. We were not allowed <laughs> in. So the, the tournament director um, hired an ice cream place for us, for all the, the minus 18 or uh, I don't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and we had such a nice time, <laughs> and it was year after year after year that this like this ice cream place, uh, ice cream place, was uh, was hired for us. And actually, until now, I I know my way in Oxford just by being there for tournaments. And I really enjoyed it. But the weather is shit. But <laughs> but I'll take that. You'll take it. But for all the good memories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, we're going to wrap things up there. Um, but yeah, Seth, this has been fantastic. Like I know beforehand you mentioned off air that you were quite nervous about speaking English. and Yeah. Yeah, you, you've done fantastic. We, we spoke for an hour and a half about Quidditch and it's been really enjoyable and insightful and inspiring. And uh, yeah, I That's can't thank you enough. Hear. It's been awesome. Thank you. That's great to hear. I hope the people understand everything I told them. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's it's been great, and uh, I guess I'll see you uh, see you in Ireland. Bring it on! Yeah, <laughs> Fraser, thank you for all the questions and uh, hosting me. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, uh, we hope you, the listeners, have enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quitch podcast, please give the Total Quitch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there, and of course, giving you a chance to send in more of your mailbag questions to our guests as and when we need them uh until next time keep yourself safe and live the game goodbye